I am super excited to have you back for another episode of Red Receipt. It's a deep dive into the how and why of the brands we love and the creatives behind them. From blueprints to launch day, customers as community, and the detours in between. Big lessons and easy listening. Red Receipt is hosted by Antidote, the email and SMS marketing agency by people who hate boring email. Today on the show, I'm talking with Luana from Peach Not Plastic, a clean, vegan, 100% plastic-free personal care brand launched by Grove Collaborative. As the VP of owned brands within Grove, Luana started on a mission to destroy the idea that sustainable products need to sacrifice consumer enjoyment. We explore crafting a framework for collaboration, analyzing consumer trends, and how being authentic is the key to success both personally and professionally. As always, thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Where, where are you based out of? I'm now in San Francisco, in the Bay Area. And um, but before I was in New Jersey for uh, since 2012. What originally you said you're from Brazil? Brazil. Yeah, but I've been living outside Brazil since 2008. Um, uh, I am Brazilian, born and raised, and then I left Brazil in 2000. I left Brazil a couple of times for work, but in 2008 I left with my husband to live in Singapore. Oh, wow. Uh, we lived in Singapore for four years. And then, uh, what was, and then we moved what, to the U.S. What was he doing in Singapore? Or what brought you to Singapore? We were both working. Uh, we got transferred to Singapore. Um, so we both worked for a multinational company. And uh, work brought us there. It was so great. And what... Um, what what is your professional background and also what did you study in school so it's so interesting because i am a journalist oh wow uh, that worked in public services government in brazil i mean this is topic for another time but i love to talk about <laughs> that and then i shifted my career um um, after two years in public services, I was kind of like, what am I, if I stay here long, it's going to be harder to make the transition to the private sector. I loved politics and um, and they, doing good. I was in like, as I said, I was a journalist, I'm, I'm a journalist and I was doing, working with education, the Department of Education. So I loved the good that we could do with education. And I still believe education is I could solve one thing in the world would be better education to everyone. But um, yeah, but I think we, and then I shifted because I, I knew if I stayed too long in the public sector, it would be hard to, to do private. And, and I joined Unilever, which is one of the largest multinational companies in the CPG space. They were kind enough to take a journalist <laughs> that was in politics. I was going to ask you, how did you get, how did you make the jump from uh, journalism in politics to getting a job at Unilever? Seems like a hard so, place to get a job also considering the candidates that they have. Yes. And I think they are like the, probably the biggest CPG in Brazil. Um, they have a program um, 
that is their future leaders program. So in that program, they hire a lot for what you can become versus what skills you have. And they have a very strong program and an excellent school of marketing in a way program. So that's how I joined. That's a fascinating program. Also like an amazing concept for you and for also anyone looking to. Yeah. And like I made my one of my like a lot of best friends I have still at Unilever and they all came from different backgrounds. Um, one of my best friends is leads the media department for Unilever Brazil and she used to be a lawyer. So, um, so anyway, I think it's a fantastic program and, and, and it's based on a lot on your soft skills and your potential more than what, you know, at that moment in time. What, what do you feel like were some of the biggest, um, learning points throughout the program before you. I guess maybe you work in that program before you like exit out of it into a specific area of focus. What do you feel like the main learning points were for you? I'm just curious, knowing that they're like trying to develop leadership for yeah. future roles, regardless of what focus you're going into. So first of all, I have to say the first learning is that I had to move from a small town that I grew up to one of the biggest towns in Brazil, which is Sao Paulo, right? So by myself for the first time. So adaptation and flexibility started there. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but what is wonderful about that program is that while you're still doing the job, so you're doing the job that you're supposed to do, and they put you on a rotational program, right? So you always have to do sales before anything else. And then you you have a two other rotations on average before you you get assigned or you get to your final um, final role is they have a and you're doing the job of that as an associate for that position so you're doing the day to day job but they also have like a lot of um, training and coaching that happens with that group of people and the nice thing is you join with a group of people. So it's a team, even though you're not working in the same areas with the same functions, we always are together because we, we joined the company at the same time with the same program. And as I said, you make best friends for life and it's fantastic. So there is a lot of collaboration, a lot of support. There is a support system uh, that you have within the company as you find out what you're going to be when you grow up, you know what? <laughs> Um, what? which for me came in much later in my career than that, but it allowed me to just start exploring from the start different lanes that were related to market from sales to shopper marketing, to brand development, to brand activation. Um, yeah. And I think it was the beginning of the journey, um, of who I am today, which is fantastic. What area of focus did you end up going into after that program ended? And you said... I went into brand development. So I spent uh, most of my career at Unilever developing brands and communication. Um, local brands, regional brands, and by regional, I, I mean um, like Latin America brands, managing a region. And then... Half of my career, I spent like leading global brands as well until I, I moved. Um, so when I was in Singapore, I was uh, leading one of their largest 
uh, skin cleansing brands that are very big, that is very big in, in developing markets like Asia, Latin America. Um, it's, it's not a brand that is present in the U.S. Um, and, um, and then I also did what in Unilever we used to call activation. Right. So it's more the local job of getting a brand that has been developed by a team and bringing it to market in the best way possible with flawless execution. And um, yeah, mm. I mainly did brand development, but I, but over my last six years or five, six years in Unilever, I pivot again. So I think that's a little bit of a pattern of my career. I get bored and I pivot. And uh, I think the beauty of a company like Unilever, it allowed us. It allowed me to be who I am that gets bored, that wants new challenges and pursue new opportunities. Um, so at some point in my career, I was kind of like bored of traditional brand development uh, in a way. And I, you can't, people can't see me, but it's air coding traditional, right? So it's like the traditional way of developing brands. And we were launching an innovation lab. So for a few years, I, I, uh, I led an innovation lab, a strategic business unit, uh, that was responsible for trends and and creating new brands and, and launching new products, looking at the future a bit more um, outside of the main business, which was fantastic. We had an excellent team looking at human design principles and developing a method and a process that would work for Unilever for us to think a bit beyond what is happening now and really creating breakthrough innovation. Um, and then from that, we pivot, we launched a bunch of brands and we now needed to nurture these brands in a very different environment that, from where I started. Because I started with traditional marketing TV being the main channel, right? And we didn't talk digital. Uh, and, and when we launched the new brands and this new innovation and the new product launches, we were like in a very different time in, in the marketing space where digital was leading a lot of new indie brands coming up uh, with a very different uh, approach with more, much more performance marketing approach than traditional awareness approach, brand building approach. So we had needed to compete in that space. So we pivot that team and that space that we had, that unit into a digital lab. So how do you then activate from end to end, create brands, but also build brands in a digital space world in a way. So from digital marketing, data-driven marketing, uh, segmentations, things that we were not yet fully exploring in the main business of Unilever, and of course, e-commerce. Um, and then I got bored. I don't know. <laughs> and then I came back to the business and I said, I miss the PL and I miss the business. I need to come back. And I came back to the business to lead e-commerce. We were creating a business unit um, and to do e-commerce in a different way, more end-to-end. -end um, so I was leading e-commerce and digital marketing for beauty and personal care in North America. That's awesome. Until I joined Grove. And so uh, you said that your the first part of your career was in the traditional brand development space. Yes. What were the main differences between the innovation labs approach to developing brands versus the traditional approach that you found exciting and also that drove the success of the innovation lab when launching brands? 
100%. There are things that will never change on innovation, and it is being consumer-centric. I'll put it out there. People can believe they can develop brands which exist today based on a trend. It's not going to be sustainable. You can, make, you can have your spotlight for some time, but it's not going to be sustainable. So deep insights on consumers and the behaviors and the needs of today and tomorrow are always going to be the foundation of any successful product or brand. The difference is, one, we spent a lot of time crafting brands in the past. Uh, we had more time. Process was slower. Also, the competitiveness or the competitive landscape was very different. You had a handful of brands to compete with. And the generation has evolved, right? How we look at brands um, and the world has evolved a lot. So looking at a lot more, how do you get deeper insights of the consumer in a world that is evolving much faster and the consumer that is evolving much faster. So it's not that you think about a consumer insight, a consumer insight today, and you're going to say, well, that insight is not going to change for the next three years. You know, it's just literally thinking plenty more. What is the evolution of that territory that you're going to play as a brand? And how, many, how much legs this, this brand can have in the long run? And how, how can we make this brand and this product sustainable? And sustainable, not from, in this case, sustainable from a business, yeah. sustainable, um, sustainable business model. Uh, because I know we're going to talk a lot about sustainability. Yeah. But from a sustainable business model point of view and, and the speed we, in which we created and, and the brands were very, very different. Um, and what was your day-to-day, -day, I'm curious, like, you know, you talking about consumer or customer-centric, I feel like is maybe a, uh, I don't know, I feel like it's a more respectful term of the people buying the product but how did when you're talking about that how did you spend your day trying to gain customer insights into what people actually valued and wanted was it more like time spent in the field with people talking to people versus your previous role in the traditional brand development you talking about it just like a much longer time horizon feels like innovation yeah. is just much more on the ground. Yes. So a couple of things. Um, there are multiple sources of information that you can understand. Let me call the people we'll serve. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we don't yeah. go into the debate of consumer, yeah. customers, shoppers. Uh, I didn't mean that in a bad so, way towards uh, mm, the word. I, I always just catch myself from my corporate background also <laughs> saying that. Yeah, it's the people that we serve, we will serve, right? Their needs and their their behaviors. It's just different companies and different language. Uh, depending on where you sit, you have yeah. use a different language. And that's why I talk about human-centric design yeah. and not product-centric design. It's talking about human needs in this case. And there are multiple sources. One, we looked at macro trends. And by macro trends, we're talking about three, five years out, which is another difference. I mean, when we talked about macro trends in the past, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we were talking about 10, 20 years out. Now things are evolving so fast and the world is evolving so fast that a macro trend might be a three-year out trend. Like, 
And what is that? That is more like looking at adjacent industries and culture and looking at what, what are the big movements that are happening in society. Um, so, and, and it's a lot based on human behavior, right? So how the human behavior is evolving uh, in, in multiple industries and how they behave with and culturally as well. The other piece that we looked at um, to start is what we called like the more short-term trends, more category trends, because there are things that are bubbling up. And this might be a bit more trends that might come and go, but they do impact culture in the long term, right? A macro trend very rarely happens like um, overnight. The pandemic is an exception, for example. No one expected it and came. But usually a macro trend, you will see, if, you, if I draw a parallel, and if you're at the ocean, um, very close to the beach, and you see the ripples, you know there will be a big wave or a wave coming up. So that's, that's the work that we did a lot at the lab, is looking at those ripples and saying, what is coming? What, what are those ripples? What do they, they mean? And what's coming next? So that's one. And the short term helps us to talk about the long term and, and, and understand what's coming in the longer term. The other thing is spending a lot of time with them, but in a different way. Instead, in, instead of having the entire product mix ready to show to them and ask them to evaluate the product, it's almost like building the product and brand with them. So we used to do a lot of uh, overnight testing, bring people in, prototype, we had a set of team of designers working live during those sessions to bring the look and feel to life. Because a lot of times we test with consumers a lot of conceptual things. And they're kind of like, uh, yeah, I think I like it. I think, and there's a lot of room for interpretation of what they are saying, right? So, I mean, any one of us, as, as again, as humans, we would look at something that looks like more final and you can react better to that. So doing that live. So we would create brands in a week, which is fantastic. You know, um, and that very was, intensely. That was, very intensely. That was from, would it be a week after you had already identified the general trend or space or full? No, from, from we had, like I would say, from the moment we got together and we had a process that we put in place and that's what I think it worked so well is that we had a process and we would design each process or each, I would call it workshop week in a way that meet the, that, that team objective, uh, the Unilever team objective. So there would be planning ahead, right, for that session. So we would collect a bunch of territories we would look at trends. We would have a briefing session. There is a planning session that needs to happen. Uh, but from the moment we get together, uh, to start the process, we would end the week with a brand. And by brand, I mean the brand name or names, if we haven't finalized them, ideas of packaging, done, the proposition done. And then it was a matter of, okay, what the, the product parameters or guardrails for formulation would be. And then it's a matter to just like, let's go and execute this. So would I'm we would have way less debate later on on everything because the six Ps of the brand, uh, the proposition, the pack, the price, ideally placement, channel strategy, would be 
roughly sorted. So, um, and we did that for our, with our own selves, a lot of times for our own brands. We partner with retailers to do that, um, those strategies with them. So it was a lot of brand and product lab, but we also did a lot of strategy applying the same principles. Um, it's really putting the consumer at the center. I feel bad. I hope I'm not going to go in too much detail on this, but I'm fascinated. Uh, can you describe the process that you would use during a workshop like that, that would help you arrive at the end objective? Yes. I don't think I can scratch <laughs> a process. Um, we've done over that period, we've done over like 300, between 300 and 400 sessions. So in every, if my team from that app would be hearing me now, they would say, yeah, it was a bit crazy. Because every, every session would have a different planning and would have a different agenda and would have a different process. What we knew is that at the end of that week, the idea would have to be pitched in 90 seconds. And that's another belief we have. If you can pitch an idea in 90 seconds, the idea is not sharp enough. So we worked that entire week, that three days, four days, depending on what we were trying to achieve um, to get to the 90 seconds um, uh, pitch, which is fantastic. Uh, but again, it was like looking at what I said, looking at trends, macro, micro category trends, looking at a lot of insights. And insights come from everywhere. Uh, formal insights, um, documents, but also a lot of like, just us putting ourselves in the shoes of the people we want to serve, right? A lot of times marketers get into the office and now it's, let's say, virtual office in a way. But when you get in to do your role, you forget that you are also someone that is going to be out there buying things and consuming things. And, and, and we behave in a different way. And I think we just step and behave as a consumer or as a shopper or as a, someone who's going to, engage with a particular brand, I'm pretty sure we have a lot of insights that we usually don't come up with when we are using our, wearing our marketer hat. But that's the process. The process was just, there was, there was guardrails of things we always look at, like, as I said, insights, trends, and so on. But there wasn't one, one way of doing it. Yeah. Would you have like a, you know, you talking about the 90 second pitch, at least that's like one guardrail that you know by the end yeah. that you need to arrive at a 90 second pitch where yes. there, and then you, you talked, yeah, you talked about the uh, P's of the business. Were there other aspects like that? Or were those the yes. two that you were like, by the end of this, I know that I'm going to be able to verbalize and communicate each P of the business and then also the 90 second pitch that would catch somebody uh, and also be able to understand what we're doing in a short period of time. Yeah. The nice thing is no one would talk about the six P's or the proposition or the price or the pack in a deck. It's a concept board. Yeah. The pack comes to life through visual. Like it's not, it's like how the people we serve will see those things. So it's just much more real, 
not a 90 slides PowerPoint. It's a 90 seconds pitch, yeah. right? So, and the other thing, but the other thing that is really important, and I'm glad you continue to probe yeah. me on this, that I forgot to mention, it's been a couple of years yeah. now, but uh, it's always have an outside in experts. Part of our job is to go out in the field and find people that could bring really breakthrough and unique point of view to a particular topic. So there wouldn't be ever a session without at least two people um, that are considered, from our perspective, experts on that topic. And sometimes expertise is someone who doesn't believe on what you're building because you can learn about the opposite point of view. That's fascinating. Um, so, yeah, I think that those were, I think, the three pillars, trends, consumer, people, insights, what, and outside. What was the most rewarding part for you working in that new format and also so rapidly on developing new concepts and new ideas? I have a lot of energy. <laughs> <laughs> My mind doesn't stop. So I think, um, honestly, um, it's my, my life and the people that work with me, you know, I'm a bit insane. It's just like I can go on for a long time. So I think, that, but I, I got a lot of energy from it. The idea that you can make impact that fast, you can create things that fast when you put a brilliant set of people together to collaborate with, of course, a framework to help them to get there. Um, it's fantastic. We can do much better, better things when we are working together and when we have different points of view around the table. Um, you might not like it at first, but it generates a lot better results. So I think I take that for life. I mean, those are principles that for me are no-brainers and non-negotiables moving forward. Yeah, it sounds super um, energy-giving. Um, yeah, it is exhausting, but it's also like, it's, it's a two way energy giving in a way, because it is exhausting. We would be up early night and the moment the session ends every day, we would reconnect and understand how we adjust the next day to make it better and to, to pivot a lot of times. And, um, so it's a lot of energy giving and receiving, I would say, um, it's intense. It was intense. What initially inspired you to make uh, your most recent pivot? That, I would say. So I did that work for a couple of years. Then we pivot the lab into the digital lab, as I said. Then I came back to the business to set up the business unit. And, um, and I was not looking at leaving Unilever. I have to say, it, it was my home for 18 years. And it's a fantastic company with very ambitious goals for a company that size from a sustainability perspective. But I've been watching Grove from the sideline for a while and um, their mission and their purpose and the opportunity that we or they had before I joined have to reinvent the CPG space was hard to pass. So for someone who likes to bridge the future with business and for someone who likes to make impact faster and also do good for us, 
people. Uh, it was just hard to to say no. And and on top of that is a different business model, right? So it is the business model that I think will help the industry to move for the next, I don't know how many years, 50 years um, at least. Who am I to predict um, <laughs> the future of retail in this podcast? But, but it is it is a very interesting business model. It was very unique business model. Grove um, was created as a retailer, as an e-commerce platform. And in 2016, they decided to launch their own first, first own brands. And the reason is, is the consumers trusted the, or the shoppers as um, trusted them so much that they've been asking for their own products. Um, and since then, I think the team has been, has, before I joined, I think the team did a brilliant job of creating fantastic products. So my job when I decided to join Grove, I say my job is easy or it was easy because um, my role is how do we make Grove Co, our flagship or Peach Nut Plastic, our future flagship in personal care, uh, the thought leaders in the space, the leaders in sustainable CPG. And we have we had a lot of elements and I think they were um, they needed a little bit more help on the brand building. And I think that's where I can, and a lot of value. And other than like the products are fantastic. And are you uh, focused? Maybe explain a little bit about what the what original idea behind Peach Not Plastic was. And then I'm curious: Are you focused solely on Peach Not Plastic, or are you no. or are you developing other brands to all live within? Yes. Yeah. So what I do first at Grove, I lead the own brands portfolio. So an innovation for the own brands. We have a portfolio of six brands. So our flagship is our Grove co-brand that we, are, we proudly launched at Target <laughs> um, earlier this year. So again, Grove is a company that is always moving and pivoting, which is kind of like aligns with my purpose and who I am in a way. So we and was that an interesting? That, sorry to interrupt you. Was that an yes, interesting no. um, path for Grove because they launched as a retailer and now they're partnering? Yeah, now yes, yes. we're omni-channel company, which is, I mean, fantastic, right? So uh, it's a very unique business model. Very, there are not many people like us in the world, which gives us a lot of. Uh, opportunities I, I I mean so um and it just proves that like we have a yeah we have a lot of potential yeah. <laughs> uh, to be the sustainable like the leading sustainable CPG in this space and that's my goal and might be my personal goal yeah. <laughs> that I'm oversharing here but I'm pretty sure we will get there. But we have Broad Boy which is our flagship in home care which we launched at Target this earlier this year, and it's been doing fantastic. Um, we are demystifying a lot of what people believe. One of the biggest barriers to try sustainable and natural products is product performance and efficacy. And with GroveCo, I think we're able to demystify a lot of that, which is great. And I think the Target guest, as they call it, um, 
very excited by it. It's very excited. It's bought into the proposition of the brand. And we have very ex like exciting results of that partnership. It's an amazing partnership with the target team. Then we also have Peach Not Plastic, which we are now celebrating one year anniversary of the brand. Um, and it's a brand that is very close to my heart. I worked in the personal care industry for a long time. And this is a brand that is pretty needed in the space. It's the name says it's all has no plastic whatsoever. And the whole idea about this brand is it's plastic free, 100% vegan, beauty and personal care that makes sustainability also oh easy and fun. And that's really important. And we call also oh easy because that brand will make us moving towards a more sustainable living in a way that you don't feel you're trading off on efficacy or on enjoyment. The thing about sustainable products, and there's a little bit of this myth that they need to be boring and they have like bad fragrances and you have to compromise to do good for the planet. Peach is here to prove that none of that, all of this is kind of like BS. We can have fun. You can have fantastic products that perform, that work, but they do good for you, for your, like, for your skin. They are clean. They are vegan. They also do good for the planet. Um, so that was the whole idea of the pitch. And then we have another other four brands in our portfolio. We have a vitamins brand. Um, we have another, like a personal care, a more entry-level personal care uh, brand, skincare brand. We have a period care brand. So we have a few other brands in our portfolio as well. How did Grove originally capture such an audience that trusted the efficacy of the products that they were selling, knowing that it was a platform to like a retailer instead of a traditional, I mean, traditional in more recent times, traditional mm -hmm. direct consumer CPG brand. Yeah. Um, so for us, I mean, trust is something that you don't build overnight, right? And so Grove was born as a curator of brands that do good. They're healthy for you and have good intent around the planet, right? They are more sustainable products. No harsh chemicals, no harsh ingredients more what we used to call natural products. And I, I say that word vaguely because it's it, natural means a lot of things, um, but let's call low, or green products, right? So products that are a bit more eco-friendly. And by doing a fantastic curation, the customers continue, like started to trust us, right? And when we decided to launch our brand and then the flagship was Grove Co., the first brand that we launched, we just, the team has a, we have a very strict standard. So if the industry has one standard, we try always to top it up. So the team always had a, a, a very strict ingredient for, and health and safety standard um, paired with the idea of being plastic free or less impact on the planet uh, from the start. So I think 
once you try the product, you understand that it works and you're not compromising on anything else. So why not? And I think that's how it started. And I think over the past two years, we've been doing a lot of work on ensuring that performance of products and, and the brand and what we stand for paired with our sustainability commitments, which are pretty bold, um, they are very bold, um, get communicated in the, in the way the consumer can understand and, and engage more. So I think for us, we look at uh, three pillars on everything we do, and they are equally important. And that's why it makes my life challenging, but I love it. Because that's what we're here for. So for these three pillars. And the three pillars are consumers, other people we serve. They are at the center. We build brands and products to fulfill their needs of today and tomorrow. And we understand that the needs of tomorrow, they might not know what they are. But this is where we can help. As leaders in the space of green sustainable products, we can help them. Uh, understanding their deeper insights or their human truths, as I would call them. So then underpinned by, uh, this is underpinned by two pillars, performance. As I said, we need to debunk, or we at Grove Goal continue to debunk, at least with our products. Consumers do not have to compromise on performance to have a clean and sustainable product. And the second pillar and the other pillar is sustainability. We don't compromise in sustainability for performance. So there is a very, very equal balance of these three parts on everything we do. And I think the results at Target or the results even on our own platform just prove us that this formula works. When you're looking and balancing the three things together, uh, it just works. Um, and we use the same principle we use at Pitch, right? So when you think about Pitch, when how do you translate that formula into Pitch Not Plastic? It's in the same way. Um, we set ourselves and we look at the industry of beauty and personal care, and you have 120 billion units of plastic being put into this industry, into the market every year. 120 billion units. It's That's insane. Scary. Plastic lives forever. And by forever, I don't know any other element that lives over, like that we put it out there that shouldn't be part of the nature that lives over 400 years. So it lives forever in whatever shape or form. Plus, you might think, oh, we can recycle, recycle, right? Just put in my recycling bin. Only 9% of plastic gets recycled. 120 billion, 9% gets recycled. And let's say you do everything right. You recycle. Plastic can only be recycled up to three or four times. So no matter how good you are and how good your town is about recycling and how good the system works, it just doesn't work. The system is broken. So for us, when we set up to think about personal care and how do we build a brand in that space, we said, that's an issue. We need to solve. We believe that's the future. No, like sustainability is the only future 
living and caring for the planet and for the people that live in the planet just like has to be paramount. So, but what was the issue? What is the challenge was how do we create a brand that makes it easy and fun? It's personal care. It should be enjoyable. I mean, nothing against for the people that like like the earth tones and the more natural scents, right? The colors and all that. But there's a lot of us like me that like vibrancy, that like great fragrances, that like optimism. Yeah. And I think Beach Not Plastic is here to just like debunk all these myths of like that people have about sustainable brands and sustainable, especially in the beauty and the personal care. I think it's also interesting and kind of uh, comical in a way that how much of the marketing in that area of the market is directed at um, like negative education as if people want to consume all of the things that they're doing wrong or that, you know, I just always oh, think about like, you know, I have a hard time learning about the things that I want to learn about, like, because life's busy, it's crazy. And yeah, I think nowadays, especially after or during the pandemic, like people want more, uh, or at least maybe I'll just speak for myself. I want more fun and enjoyment out of my life and to interact with things that make me feel good. And I think the path that has been attempted in some ways to get people to, to act in a more sustainable manner of educating them about the negatives of the way that they've been doing things is just a much harder way to get people to interact with things. Like they do things that feel good, you know? I think the way we look at this, the problem is serious, right? I'm not here making fun of yeah, sustainability yeah, yeah. or what we do, but it doesn't have to be treated that way. Right, we are optimistic. We look at the future. What we we help people to get and take to the next, like the next step, and we celebrate each individual that does, and we help the ones that are willing to do. If you're not there yet on your journey, we're not here to judge you. We're just like, let's just for us is our mantra is how do we make it easy and fun? If we make easy and fun. We hope that more people will come along with us on this journey. So we, year one, we just, we are literally celebrating right now. And we even say like we help consumers to kick out 1.2 million plastic bottles of personal care out of their, from, from out of their bathroom. And we go one bottle at a time. No problem. We will do it. It's just the beginning of this journey and we will continue to push it because we believe it's going to be better for everyone. How do you personally keep, uh, you know, like talking about the innovation lab and then now your work with Grove, um, a lot of it is breaking down assumptions or breaking past your assumptions and seeing yeah. the possibilities of doing things in a new way. How do you continue to push yourself to not, um, become too comfortable in the way things are now? 
Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I think about that a lot. And also with uh, the people that you work with, because that's also another challenge, let alone yourself. You have to do that with the people around you. I think there are maybe two to three things. I think about that a lot. The first thing that I, I think about a lot, and I realize when I, I mean, moving from a large traditional, more traditional CPG into a company like Grove, is we have less constraints in our supply chain. So I'll start first from the product and then I'll talk about myself. But so when we set to create something, we are looking always at the need or desire of that consumer or that person or that segment, I would say. And, and then we say, okay, how do we do the best for that, to achieve that? We have a much more flexible supply chain. And again, a lot of um, CPGs are, are a supply chain business, right? They're highly um, efficient supply chain machines in a way. For us, it's, it's, so we don't think about incremental innovation. Like how do I incrementally get this product better? We're always thinking about how can I solve for this need or that desire? And a lot of times, how can we solve for that need and desire of that, that consumer segment, but also how do we solve for the planet, right? How do we take the planet? So the planet and the people come always hand in hand. So that's one. So if you're always thinking about from that lenses, you will always be looking from the human perspective. And we are always evolving. And our needs are always evolving more than ever. Um, then personally, as I said, I get bored. So I can't do that. Um, <laughs> the hardest piece is on my team. <laughs> because I'll push. And I, and, but the nice thing about Grove is that we have a fantastic team that is always thinking about the future. And, uh, and they are all very commitment to, committed to our bold plastic, our being plastic-free goal by 2025, our Beyond Plastic initiative, and, and doing what is right. So that is um, that's core of this company and that's core of my team. Um, but it gets exhausting sometimes, yeah. <laughs> especially during the pandemic, uh, all via Zoom and meetings and all the time and so on and so forth. But are there any um, like core questions that you ask yourself that help you think in that model, like that you've used over the years um no my brain works in a i don't know if it's a weird way or an interesting way you can define <laughs> i'll have to define myself i tend to connect random dots um so i might be shopping with my kids and i see something or i was uh, doing something the other day at home and i said why don't i have something that I can use in a different way. And then you connect the dots and, and it goes, and I'm always like connecting, I think, random dots. Um, every piece of information I consume and everything I'm looking around me is, is an insight in a way. Um, so I don't have, other than always trying to say, take my marketer hat off and my human hat on, put my human hat on, um, more often than not, um, um, 
no, I don't have it. It's just, and the other thing is always like, how do we continue to change this industry? That is a question that I ask myself a lot. So it's not only about, um, of course, to change the industry, you also need to look at the consumer needs and what they want and what we want as humans. But for me, a lot of, I, I think we have a lot of potential to create bigger, faster shifts in the industry. And the reason why I believe that is because I think we don't look at sustainability as a trend. So I, need to, I, have, I should have said that from the start. We think it's a movement and it's the only way out. So that's just very different from most, from a lot of companies out there, how they think about sustainability. This is who we are. And this is what is the core of what we think and what we do and why we exist. But for me, there is also, when we think about that, it's also we have a potential. There's a lot of waste out there and there's a lot of things that, can be changed for better. Um, yeah, and I, for me, I keep always asking myself, how do I, how can I personally contribute for a more positive future? Um, and I know, and then I have a ton of ideas. How <laughs> <laughs> to do it. How do you evaluate what ideas are worth exploring yeah so i did so i did that in throughout my career in multiple ways and always aligned with business goals and mission right um so i think you always look at the potential um short term and long term um and there are times here that we take the decision for the long term on an innovation. For example, we launched our cleaner household cleaners in concentrate form a long time ago before then anyone else in the market. Maybe 10 people bought this the first time we launched it. It is like our core category on our flagship brand, right? Or we just launched in the first year of Peach Not Plastic, we launched the refillable deodorants that are completely plastic-free. Again, without any compromise on how people use a deodorant. You don't have to stick your finger there, which a lot of brands are doing. You can twist the thing, propels, repels. You just need to refill. You buy your refill. You keep the case. 100% plastic-free. A fantastic product. Clinically proven as any other product in the market to, like, any good product in the market to um, to keep you odor free for forty eight hours. Um, so it's a fantastic product, clean, no plastic, in a very unique format. So again, you you might start with a product that might have appeal right away, like the Pichina plastic deodorant, or we might start with a product that we think is the right solution because the best solution for the people who serve or will serve in the planet. And sometimes we take bets like that. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And the nice thing about Grove is that we iterate fast. We learn fast. That's the beauty of having a hybrid model between an e-commerce platform and an omni-channel company, right? Um, because we can t- iterate fast and then scale. And the chances of success when we scale are much, um, much larger. 
looking back across all of your experience, is there any advice that you would give yourself earlier on in your career that might have helped um, in any way? Your career is so broad. It is. Yeah, and also your experience um, is so broad. It's hard for me to even ask you that question. I don't even know if it's relevant, <laughs> to be honest. I think, <laughs> can I be honest? I felt that a lot because I, I, the way I describe it is I get bored easily. The thing is I'm always looking for challenges, right? I challenge myself, but I, I wouldn't be able, I couldn't articulate this until very recently. What motivates me? What makes me who I am? And a lot of times I feel like an outlier, right? Being put in a box and you have to follow a particular process. And I'm not a process follower. I give me the outcome that we want to get and I will, I will get there in my own interesting, weird, odd, different way. So I, I wish I knew that before because I would, I would, be, I would have been probably less frustrated I would be happy. I would have been happier at some moments in my career. And I think the, the interesting thing when I look back is, and I had a boss that once said something to me that drove me off the wall, <laughs> but then I, and I'm being honest, said, Luana, just smell the flowers. Just stop and smell the flowers. And I said, you don't tell me to smell the flowers. I can't stop. But I think those setbacks made me want, made me push harder. Right. Um, I, when I got the innovation lab role, they were at the final stages of the recruitment process for that role internally, um, and they were getting someone externally, out of, someone external out of Unilever, and I was in, I was on my mat leave, but I couldn't do my current job anymore. So you go and push above and beyond. So I think if I knew who I was for this. Um, or what motivated me earlier, I would probably um, I would probably have done things a bit differently. So what I tell people is, if you know who you are, or even if you don't know, just be you. You know, just, just be you. Because being yourself and being able to express yourself and being able to be who you are is what will allow you to be successful, personally, professionally. Um, I questioned myself throughout many, many years of my career and think, honestly, I just found out what I liked doing um, for real, what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. <laughs> There's a lot of things I'm not good at. Um, I don't know, maybe in this transition to the lab, uh, which I had to push really hard to get that job. Um, so sometimes the setbacks help you. And don't give up. Just be you and keep pushing. But always looking for insights. Uh, because being stubborn and thinking your way is the only way is never great. Yeah. I to hope that helps. I totally agree. I think it's funny, too, because it's hard. On one hand, it's like trust who you are and the things that you want to do or the ways that you want to do things. And on the other hand, uh, also look for insights. Because you yeah, probably also don't have the answers. <laughs> yes. But I think the way I, I usually tell um, people that ask me or my team or friends, I don't trust that people can change their essence. 
yeah. right? But we can all get all like each one of our, every one of us can get better yeah. and evolve. So as long as you you are not touching or trying to change who you are deeply down and uh, deep down inside and your essence, I think we can always evolve. I totally agree. Um, I hope that's helpful. I'm not the best one on giving career no, advice. No, that was great. <laughs> that was great. Bread, receipt, bread, receipt, bread, receipt.